Definitely. I think at various points in my life, I've, like I told you when I first read the parable, I uh, identified with the older brother, you know. Um, and then there was another point in my life where I was definitely identified with the younger brother. <laughs> I was like, boy, I've messed up. And it'd be, God, if uh, just let me be a servant, you know, just let me just... Let me walk in the building and not catch fire today, please, because um, I'm I messed up. I get it. And then as I get older, I know some of you are going to laugh at me when I say that, but um, as I become a father, I see, well, of, of course, of course that's what God does. Of course that's what I would do with my son. And see, now some of you with teenagers are leering at me, I don't know about that. But when they're one, it's a lot harder for them to talk back for now. Um, but when I, I think there's just something about just that, like you said, that imagery of the father who's like, you're not going to be a servant in my household. I'm going to clean you up. You're going to kill the fatted calf and we're going to celebrate. And uh, I mean, how many times does he sell, tell us that the, the angels rejoice when even one sinner turns from repentance? And uh, that's how God is with his children. Excellent. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments? And then we'll move on to uh, what I kind of teased, the second half of Galatians 4. Awesome. So normally, normally, if you've been with us as we've been studying Galatians, um, we'll read it and I'll let you guys kind of comment on it and pull some stuff out of it. Verse 21 through 31 is just one big long illustration that Paul gives to kind of really drive home the point he's been making since about the beginning of chapter 3, end of chapter 2. And so because I want us to really dive into this and really break down some of this uh, parallels he's drawing to Genesis 16, 17, and 21, I'm going to go ahead and read it. And we're just going to jump right into some of my uh, notes on the text because we'll, we'll read Galatians 4. And then I want us to go back and actually look at some of these passages from Genesis that he's referencing so that we can really understand what he's talking about. So I'm just going to go ahead and read for us. We'll dive right into it. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 21. <clears throat> Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So, turn all the way back to Genesis 16. Because Paul's audience is these Judaizing influences, but also many of the Christians at this time were still Jews from a Jewish background. And so they would have known these stories, especially from the Pentateuch, like the back of their hands. And so I want us to, even if we don't know it like the back of our hands, just make sure we really understand the imagery and some of these things that he's referencing. Uh, so we're just going to have a couple selected readings from 16, 17, and 21 uh, from those chapters in Genesis here to sort of put the picture in the frame. And then we'll jump back to Galatians 4 and figure out how Paul is using some of this imagery. Um, someone read for us. Uh, well, mm, yeah, we'll go ahead and read. Uh, someone read for us verse 2 through 4 of chapter 16. Hagar and she conceived. 
So before, when I was debating whether or not to read this, I looked around because sometimes our middle school class stays with us up upstairs if uh, Marty's having to work or something, and I kind of was like, mm, yeah, okay, we'll go ahead with this one. Because um, it tells us pretty much what happened, right? It's, it's pretty plain speaking. So we have the birth of Ishmael. Um, Ishmael is, of course, Abram's, Abram's oldest son. Uh, he is not Isaac. Isaac is not in the picture yet. In, if, you, if you want to, just while we're talking about this, kind of skim chapter 16, because we're, I'm not going to talk about all of this. We just don't have time to fully break down this story Paul is using, but I want us to kind of get the highlights. And, and the highlight is that Sarah, or Sarai, her name is still called, and you might notice his name is still called Abram, which tells us just where we are on the timeline, that we haven't made the covenant with God yet, that he knows who God is. He's heard of the, the God Yahweh, but he's not made that that big sort of defining covenant with him. We'll get to that later. But something we see a lot of the Old Testament is there is almost this theme of barren women coming to God. I mean, like, God, why is this this way? Why is my life this way? Why am I being troubled? Why am I cursed? Almost is how they speak of it. And we see these stories where God actually oftentimes uses women in situations like this to demonstrate some really amazing stories. Um, we, we noticed that with Samuel, uh, that the study of Samuel that I think we did maybe a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night. But we have Sarai, who, is, who cannot bear children. And you'll notice, at no point do Sarai and Abram sit down and say, well, what does this mean for us? What does God want for us in this situation? There's no analysis of what maybe God's desire for them is. There's no communication with God on why this is. They just, Sarah just says, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. I don't know why this is happening. I'm going to fix this problem myself, sort of. And so she gives her servant to Abram and says, maybe she can do what I can't. And the slave woman, which is where Paul gets this language later, she bears him a child. And skim over to verse 6. Uh, but Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Um, as you might imagine, I don't think I need to explain why this could happen to anybody, but um, got two women in one household. Doesn't seem to end very well. One is looking upon the other with contempt. And so Abram's wife is saying, What? You know, what, what do you want me to do with her? I don't like this situation. It's tense. I'm not a, I'm not a fan here. And Abram says, look, it's, it's your servant. You do what we want with her. And so it says, and Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled. And, I, and we're not going to get into this. Am I breathing on the mic? Sorry. I'm not trying to make everybody go deaf. Um, when, when, as 16 ends, we see that actually God... Uh, even though she does flee, she does leave the household. God takes care of Hagar. He takes care of Hagar and the slave woman child. And in fact, he, he tells her that uh, you shall call his name Ishmael uh, because God, the Lord has listened to your affliction. And, and he even says he will dwell over against all his kinsmen. I will make him a great nation. He will have many offspring. So, you know, don't worry. Even though Abram and Sarah have cast you out, Hagar, I'm going to look over you and your child. And so there's really what I want us to just take away from this is Ishmael didn't do really anything wrong to be born in this situation. It's just that this was not God's plan. Ishmael didn't sin. His mother didn't. You could almost argue whether or not his, how much his mother sinned in the sense that she was just doing what her uh, master had told her to do. And so they get cast out for this. And we see the Lord actually says, you know what? No, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be all right. You're just not a part of the plan that I have. And again, that, that, that's not anything of, of Ishmael's doing uh, good or bad, but on Abram and Sarah's part, there's really kind of an impatience, a haste, we could even say an arrogance to say, you know what, God has made us this way, that's not really working for me. 
I'm not a fan of this. Don't know why you did this, God, but you know what? We're going to make our own plans. We're going to figure this out one way or another. I get the impression that if it didn't work with Hagar, that he kept trying because they, they seem pretty committed to wanting to do things the way they want to do them. And we don't see any consultation with God in, in how this unfolds. Compare that to flip just over one page to chapter 17. Um, again, if you're familiar at all from a study of the covenants of the Old Testament or, or any sort of uh, looking for promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament, Genesis 17 is a big chapter for that. It gets repeated, I believe, in chapter 26. But in chapter 17, we, we see this language over and over that God begins to speak to Abram. And he says, I'll establish my covenant with you. It'll be with you and your offspring. It'll be throughout your generations, an everlasting covenant, on and on and on, into the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession. And, and he makes this big, 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 big promise with Abram. And part of that promise is actually uh, that his wife will bear a son. And it's a longer section, so I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. But uh, look at verse 15, Genesis 17, 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, So a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But... I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you this time next year. So again, just comparing these two children, the, the child of the slave Ishmael and what we would call the child of the promise Isaac. Um, what happens between chapter 16 and 17 is really that God decides, okay, I, I'm going to act here. And so God initiates, as we see over and over and over throughout the story of just people, God makes the first move, and he says, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you, but there's a catch. You have to keep my commands. You have to keep my laws, but I will make this covenant with you. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give you a son, and I will, uh, I will make your offspring, I will make your nation grow through him. And, of course, Abram laughs at the prospect of his 90-year-old wife having a son. And he says, well, what about my other child? What's going to happen for him? And God says, no, look, I'll, I'll take care of him. He'll... It says he shall father 12 princes, which is crazy. But he says, but he's not the one I'm making a covenant with. And so again, he, he's saying, look, there's nothing wrong with uh, Ishmael. He's just not the one I chose. And so now flip over to Genesis 21. Oh, and also in that section is when he gives both his, him and his wife a new name. Of course, Sarai becomes Sarah. Abram becomes Abraham. And so there's almost this shadow of how we have a new identity in God, right? We have a new creation, kind of hints of that. But this is the, the birth of Isaac. Uh, someone read for us verse 8 through verse 13, please, of chapter 21. Sarah saw the son of Hagar and Egyptian, whom 
So, we have Isaac finally coming into the picture now, and Isaac is the one who is going to become the child of the promise, quote-unquote. And we have this line in verse 10, and this is what Paul quotes in Galatians. Um, and this is kind of what we've been building it that will sort of connect these two stories. Uh, verse 10, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. This is the line that Paul is going to use later in Galatians 4. But what I want us to see is that there's two approaches here with the two sons. The first son was born, there's really no way to say it, but out of sin, out of a bad situation, out of them saying, you know what, God has made us this way. We don't know why. I don't like it. I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to, I'm going to make the, darn it, I'm going to make what I want to do happen one way or the other. We see really haste, arrogance, and I would say impatience with God. And then with Isaac, Isaac was born out of Abraham putting his faith in God. Of God saying, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise with you, and you will hold to my covenant. And so we see with Isaac, we see obedience, we see faithfulness, we see really putting his trust in God. And this is really a pattern we see repeated all throughout the Old Testament. Another one that comes to mind is, uh, if you've ever studied Joshua, just the difference between the story of Jericho and the study of Ai. Jericho is, of course, the story we've probably all heard a thousand times where he tells them, march around the city, blow your horns, you're not going to do anything, you're not going to pull your swords out, you're not going to get your shields ready or march on them, just march around the city, blow your horns, and if you do that, I will give the city into your hand. And what happens? They do exactly as the Lord tells them, and exactly what the Lord promises what happens. When they obey God, when they seek God's counsel, when they seek God's wisdom, when they are desiring after God and following after God, things go well. When they take matters into their own hands, what happens? It was very poorly. If you know anything about the battle of Ai, it did not go well for Joshua and his people. And so we see this contrast between doing things God's way versus trying to do things our own way. And Paul says Ishmael was, was the result of, of men trying to do things their own way. It was the result of, of not listening to God and not consulting God and not seeking God's wisdom. Meanwhile, Isaac, this child of the promise, as Paul calls him, he is the one who was chosen by God in sort of the fullness of time, to use an expression. He is the one who, who God made his covenant through. And so now, flip all the way back to Genesis, I'm sorry, Galatians 4. And I'll pick right back up in verse 24, and I know we're repeating ourselves, but now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. And so Paul is saying, look, those of you in, in, in Jerusalem, who are the Jews, those of you who are in, currently in the present Jerusalem, he said, you are in slavery. 
those of you who are the Judaizing influencers, who are, who are trying to make these people adhere to the law and make these people adhere to all of these rituals in, in a legalistic view of God, you are in slavery. You are just like Ishmael. You are, you are the child of the slave woman. And he says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And so, he says, the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Just talking about that reversal of fortune, how God took the barren woman and allowed her to have offspring. And he says, now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And he's speaking now to to the whole church at Galatia. He's speaking to both the Jews and the Gentiles. He's really speaking to them as Christians. But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was according to the spirit, so also it is now. And so if, uh, we, didn't, we didn't cover quite this part of it, but just as there was rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac, he's saying there's, there's rivalry between you guys now. You're, you're, you're succumbing to these outside influencers who are trying to almost persecute you. They're trying to influence you. And in verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And I'm going to keep reading because this first verse in chapter 5 is actually relevant. For freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul is calling these these Judaizing influences, the people who are trying to, to really impart on the Galatians a legalistic view of the law. He's saying, you're just like the child of the slave woman. He says, you're, you're taking a covenant that's based in flesh or, or, or an origin story that's really based in, in a flawed system. And he's saying, you're, you're trying to emphasize this idea that you have to be born of the right bloodline, that you're, you're entitled to something just because you're, you're of the child of Israel. And he's saying not that there is anything wrong inherently with being Jewish, just like there was nothing wrong with Ishmael. But he's saying at the, it, when you were when that covenant was made, when you were Jews, when when that was important essentially, because if we read the Old Testament and we we look at passages how Jesus and Paul and they talk about how no 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 just being born the right bloodline is not enough. He's saying look there was a time when that was important, but that time is not now. The, the fullness of time is here. Christ has come. And so he says, you are behaving as children of the slave woman. But when he speaks to really the, the Christians in Galatia, and again addressing them not just as Jews or Gentiles, but as Christians, he's saying you ought to behave as children of the promise. And that you ought to understand that you, your relationship with God is not based on fleshly covenants, but it's based on a, a covenant of faith and faithfulness. And so really, just as... Isaac did not do anything to earn being chosen by God. And in fact, if we went all the way back to sort of Jewish views of the patriarchy, Isaac's not the firstborn. And it's actually, just as an aside note, it's very interesting. Look at how many times God doesn't choose the firstborn son in the era of the patriarchs. He doesn't choose the one who you would almost expect him to choose or who society would expect. I mean, what better example than David, right? The seventh son of the... But God chooses who he chooses, and the message Paul is saying is, and you know what? God chose to include all of us. He said, God chose to include all of us. So who are you over there to bring in something that God did not bring in? 
Who, who are you out there and those other influences to, to include something that God did not include, to, to make conditional to salvation, something God did not make conditional? And so he says, thus, if you are to be children of the free woman, just keeping with that illustration of Sarah and Hagar, he says you need to understand that your relationship with God is not possible through keeping these laws and keeping these old covenants and keeping this ritualistic view of your faith, but it's actually only possible through uh, fulfillment of, what, of God's will, of being, putting your faith in God and of being faithful to God. And so he really he ends by almost, if, uh, if you were preaching this as sort of a challenge, you would say, you know, are you going to be children of the slave or are you going to be children of the free woman? So... This is why I just said I want to get right into the text because we only have like 10 minutes left. <laughs> Questions or thoughts and comments on all that? What people follow Israel is the language of the I was actually had that in my notes to ask earlier and I just skipped over it because I was like, I don't have time to get into that. But I do. Are you asking me because you know? Yeah, so um, Muslims before Muhammad traditionally trace their lineage through Ishmael. Yeah, their, or the lineage of, they trace the lineage of their prophet Muhammad through uh, being the offspring of Ishmael. Um, it's actually really, really interesting because their uh, sacred texts, there's a lot, a lot of overlap for the first third of it. <laughs> We're like, hey, that's our story. And uh, they just, two paths diverge in the yellow woods, so to speak. But after that happened back then, and it's odd today that we're still dealing with, uh, I would not say Muslim groups, but. Consequences of it, yeah. yeah consequences of it. It is. We're, we're still dealing with that because uh, Abraham and Sarah decided to go to step in and help out the Lord, which they didn't need to do that. He had a plan. It's like us praying for something. We might not get the answer right then. It may be later that we get the answer. But there's no need to try to, you know, sit there and say, well, I didn't get the answer to my prayer. You don't know whether you have or whether you will somewhere down the road. But they had to have their way into it and look like yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought of it in that sort of framing it that way. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a a wrong choice that leads to consequences for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good good thought. What else? The whole world today is subject to the laws of Christ. Whether you be Muslim, whether you be of the denomination, any denomination, you're subject to the laws of Christ. That's true. That's absolutely true. So he tells us, he kind of ends this whole discourse where he says, you know, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I underlined this because I think if we, now that we've kind of put Paul's illustration, his lesson in context, I kind of want to bring it back and uh, bring it to the modern day and, and bring some application. And I want to really tie this to those ideas we talked about all the way at the very beginning and that Paul talked about at the beginning of the chapter. 
he says, do not submit again to your yoke of slavery. Even though we are not Jewish, most of us maybe, maybe you are, I'm not, I don't know many people that are in this part of the country, but um, even though most of us are not Jewish, as Christians we don't often think of Judaism as part of our heritage in that sense, um, and, and even though we don't necessarily have the same influences that the Galatians church did of people telling us to keep the law of Moses, I do think that sometimes we can fall victim to a similar mindset. And I talk about this all the time, but it's, it's kind of that idea of what I call checklist Christianity sometimes. And I think we can fall into habits of doing things out of some sense of binding obligation to God rather than out of a place of, of love for God. And I don't want to clarify that because I do believe as Christians we are obligated to do these things. Um, Christians, we should worship the way the Bible tells us to. We should be a part of the spiritual family we should be a part of the church. We should worship and study our Bibles and do so as much as we can together. We should take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. When we gather, we should pray. We should sing songs. We should do all these things. But when we do them, are we doing them because it's like, oh, this is what I do on Sunday. I go when I go to church. What do I want to have for lunch today? Is our ball game at 2 or is it at 3? We got to go to Sarah's house on Tuesday. And we get in this habit where we just do these things because we're like, oh, this is what we do. We just go to church on Sunday. And there's... I, I want every single one of you to be here on Sunday. Don't get me wrong. But if you're just here because your parents or your grandparents or your great-great-parents or somebody told you, you go to church on Sunday, that's what you do, you're probably not learning a lot. You're probably not taking a lot out of what we're doing. And on top of that, I was, it's, it's really funny. Um, now that I have a young one, it's really funny to talk to people about what they're going to do with their baby when they don't have one. Um, I was talking to a friend of ours and I know I probably have some of the youngest children in here, and so some of you are just laughing and waiting for the later days of my own life, and I'm sure those will come. But they say, well, I, don't, I just don't know if I could ever tell them, you know, we, we want them just to figure out the right thing on their own, you know. We, we just really want to encourage them to do the right thing and let them figure it out on their own. I just have a hard time with some of these hard and fast rules that parents have. Okay, that's interesting. That's really interesting. I'm, uh, I hope that works out for you. you. You might be the first person that works out for. Um, and I was having a conversation with a close family member of mine, and, and uh, he's, uh, he's probably about where I was a few years ago in my own faith, just kind of on the fence about some things. And he says, well, I think if I have kids, I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to make them go to church because that's what our parents did, and they just made me not like church. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. You let them decide when they get up in the morning too? Oh, just whenever you want. You get up and go to school if you feel like it. And so if you've got young kids, you've got to tell them what to do. You say, hey, guess what? We're going to church. Why? Because I'm telling you to go to church. Put your clothes on. Get them to, no, put the wrinkled one back up. Get the clean one. Get the one I ironed for you. Don't get the one with the milk stain on the front. Why? Because they're kids. But if you're an adult, and that's still your view of your spirituality, doesn't that kind of seem like a problem? Like when I get dressed in the morning, I don't put on my, my blue shirt with the gator that matches the blue gator on my pants because that's the one that my mom told me I need to wear tomorrow. Because I matured a little bit, a little bit. I won't lie to you, a little bit, a very little bit. But I fear that sometimes we, we retain this, this very immature sense of our faith where we just go through and like, yep, this is what I do, this is what I do, this, and we don't ever think about it. Or we don't ever really think, why do I do this the way that I do? Why do, why do we sing the way that we do? Why do we pray the way that we do? Why do we gather here and not over there? Why do we call our church this instead of this? And so I fear even though we are not necessarily uh, subject to these Judaizing influence that Paul is talking about, 
I think sometimes we are submitting ourselves to a very much a slavery view of Christianity. We say, oh, this is just, this is just what I do because I don't know. Someone asks me what I am, I'll, you know, I'll check it. Male, 25 to 35, Christian. And it just kind of turns into this like demographic box that we check rather than saying, like, you know what, I do this because I understand that a long time ago God made a promise and he fulfilled that promise by sending his son to die on the cross for my sins. And I want to do everything absolutely possible to be pleasing and acceptable to him because I owe him my entire life. Because I owe him my existence, you know, and because I love him. And I understand, like, man, he loves me more than I could ever love any, any other human. <laughs> I think a lot of them do. It, it may be routine, but to us when we're younger and to have children, we want them to get into a routine to make sure that they show up for Bible study, worship service. Absolutely. Uh, and that don't always work out because they're going to be Christian to the end. I mean, you know, you may be talking a few years later on. You want to, you know, why had Ruth obeyed? And uh, we've all got children that we've been brought up and raised and everything and try to, but then they don't show up. Yeah. You hope that once they get older, they will not forget. Mm-hmm. And come back, but it's you know you wonder about that. Yeah. I do know that raised in the church, like Sam did, we didn't always want to come. And uh, we were made. I think Billy had to come with a broken foot one night, <laughs> and he was sitting right there. There's better than foot than the head. And he's still sitting there now. <laughs> Well, and I guess you got the marker on that. If you don't mark on them, making them do things, if disobedience comes in, then look out. Yeah. And and I guess I, I hope I didn't uh, sound like I was saying something I wasn't. Like I get that that's what you got to do with children. <laughs> that's I mean we most a lot of y'all have been there. That's kind of what you have to do. But hopefully there comes a time where that's not what you have to do. <laughs> And hopefully there comes a time when we mature in our faith and we mature in our walk and we go, you know what, I, I do this on Sunday because that's what I want to do. Because I want to be here. When you give them that little bit of love, there does come a time when you've got to let them go. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. 